This is Coda Radio, episode 306, for April 30th, 2018. Everybody and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. Why me? My name's Chris, but that's not what matters. No, it's not very interesting. Who we care about is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. In the beginning, there was IBM, and then... <laughs> The dawn of Wintel. Oh. Good afternoon, Chris. Hello, sir. It's good to be with you. How are you doing? I missed you last I week. I am okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, a rough week. Remember college week. kids? Yeah. Watch those stop signs. You got it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm just glad we're here now. Everybody's okay. Everybody's safe. You panicked everybody on Twitter. I mean, the entire Twitterverse was freaking out for a little bit. Not not Kara Swisher. She was like, finally. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. She still hates you. She still hates yeah, so. you. But you have made nice with Paul Therott. We can get to that later on, though. Because uh, we're both the enemy. Oh, <laughs> the enemy of my enemy. Um, so we are starting here on a Monday just at the right time because I just got the last batch of Linux Fest Northwest shenanigans out of here. We had a huge Linux Fest Northwest this year. It was ridiculous. Uh, the party went till midnight last night, which was the third party of the fest. Um, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the group just spent the night at the studio last night and just cleared out so I could do the show. <laughs> are you are you cleaned up? Or are you? I'm all right. You know, I uh, I didn't pace myself well the first night, but that was all the warning shot I needed. I was then required to pace myself uh, just to make it through the whole thing because the thing is, and I'm not complaining. I love it. You know, I get there on Friday uh, before the fest opens and the whole and but right. but but Noah and I started working uh, like seven days before that. So and it's been midnight every single night, you know, seven days leading up to Linux Fest. Then we get there. We have to set everything up. Um, and then this, then the next day, it's all day of broadcasting, walking around, meeting people, interviewing people. Sunday, I had to pack up the RV first thing in the morning, run down to the studio and record land. And then we do that. And then it's party time again. And we're, I'm out there cooking all night long, you know, serving I burgers. Saw, I saw you were grilling. Oh, yeah. I was grilling. I grilled several times this fest. It was good for me. I mean, it was, it was good for me. Uh, and so we're just moving and, I, and shaking and cooking. And so this is sort of, this is sort of my first calm moment. Since Linux Fest, about started it for me really more than a week ago, but it was so good. It was really good. It was nice to hang out with people, you know. Meet it the, looked it looked meet amazing. The peeps. You know what? It, it does make me jealous though. The Southeast just doesn't have uh, the Linux beard, and and, I, and I'm jealous particularly of the beard pictures I saw. Yeah, there were really good beards this year. Um, you know, listener Jed, I think is at peak beard right now. Uh, he mm. he doesn't know, but we have some photos from the booth. And Jed sat down very kindly with uh, Mr. Alan Jude and did a little impromptu tech snap. And during that time, we got we got some some great beard pictures. So it was wait, really wait, 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 peak beard. Wait, was Alan like a BSD double agent? Oh yeah. What, oh man, 
that is so his thing. This is a big thing they do now because these Linux conferences are big enough. So right. other interest groups like those crazy BSD guys. Yeah. And try to convert people. You know, there, I saw on tape that there were a bunch of Microsoft guys getting some light, friendly yeah. ribbing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a thing now, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good times. It's good times. It's exhausting. But the thing about what was those... your takeaway? What's what's the big for the, for the devs? What is a because obviously that wasn't the show. Yeah. What was the thing you heard that was kind of like the big thing? I, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising, but I was I was kind of surprised at the um, enthusiasm around 1804's release. I, I don't oh, know no. why. I don't know why that surprised me. I guess I kind of pictured them as you know you know I don't know just a, a hardened crowd a bit that you know. Was, that got their geek cred by being too good to use Ubuntu, but um, people were there watching the release page, refreshing, waiting for it to come out. So there was a pretty pretty big amount of excitement. I still have people who work on Macs uh, who listen to the show emailing and tweeting at me saying, so, you know, kind of don't like the new MacBook and mine is, you know, dying. Yeah. Um, what's this whole uh, Sputnik thing? 1804? Yeah. Sounds like it might be stable. You know, that's an, right, that, that was interesting, yeah. too, although people here were talking a lot about ThinkPads. The X270, mm. which is a which is one revision behind the current one, was the one that a lot of people were talking about. Go get the X270 while it's still good, while you can still buy it new and used or whatever. Go get the X270. It's a great Linux laptop. Um, because, and, and a lot of people were bitching about the MacBook keyboard. Um, yeah. It's funny because there's a lot of MacBooks there and a lot of griping um, and I, I swear that's just my anecdotal observation, but those two things really did stand out at me. Oh, and it was packed. Every session was standing. I didn't, there wasn't really? a session I didn't end up standing at because I always arrive a little late cause I'm running from the booth. Um, and so I stood to, I stood at every session I went to packed, 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 really good sign there too. Lots of interest in all kinds of topics. It's pretty good. Felt, it felt more developer focused than in years past too. Developers, developers, developers. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Dominic, speaking of those developers, some of them have written into the show, and uh, some of them even give us alternative perspectives than the one that you and I share. (gasps) I know. Burn the heretics. I know. I know. Uh, So this was an email that was sent into the show saying, hey, guys, I think it was from, uh, his name was Chris K. And uh, he says, guys, guys, you're being way too hard on Windows. You need to update your myths about Windows. Are you ready to be challenged? I'll take the challenge. Okay. He says, I admit, before Windows 7, the days were bad. Emmy was a disaster. XP had its quirks. Windows 7 got decent over time. But things have really changed with Windows 10. For one, gaming fun tasks such as editing videos or recording are easy. And development is obviously very straightforward. Uh, I use a variety of tools, some Microsoft, some not. And I handle all the installs. It's really no problems. He's been he's on Windows 10 since build 1709, and he admits it's been pretty solid. He initially thought it was going to be a trouble, but it's been one of the best workstations for him. He says, I appreciate the discussion about the strengths and weaknesses of Windows, Linux, and OS 10. But honestly, with the exception of major gaming and videoing, I find myself using Linux for all the major tasks. Even though Windows 10's pr- proven to be good, he still prefers the Windows UI, gets the job, or I mean the Linux UI, sorry, and still gets the job done. He also says, thanks so much for all the work we do here at JB. Um, but he thinks we're too hard on Windows. He says it's actually been more stable. It's been, he's been pleasantly surprised with the latest iterations of Windows as a workstation OS. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you tackle this because um, I think in, we're, we're in 307 coming up shortly. 
I have a lot to say on this. Oh, yeah, Certain sure. machine may have been paved. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, totally. But, yeah, let's save it for that. But I feel like his email takes a cur- curveball. Windows is fine. It's great, you know, but I run Linux. Yeah, well, so um, I think that's been a common sort of thread that I've seen from feedback over time has been, I think you guys are being too hard on it. And then... However, I don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I now, our stats listen, say otherwise. I mean, we know we have Windows users in right. the audience. Well, we have a very heavy and we have a lot of Mac, too, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. But Or, or iOS, maybe, is what I mean. Yeah, that would be what I'd say. Yeah, yeah iOS. That's, that's the mistake. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would rather – I'll jump into this on the next one. Do you have yeah. anything more? Well, I would say um, I don't know exactly how to uh, – when I think about this, I don't know exactly how to frame it because – I can't help but look at what I would assume must be an incredible amount of technical debt and legacy design decisions that must be baked deeply into that OS now. You know, I've been using what Windows 10 is based off of since the 90s. And it was called NT3 and then NT4. And then it became... Calc still runs, baby. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways that's great. But in other ways, it's an indication that there is deep technical debt And so um, what I have been impressed and yet also sort of put off by is Microsoft's ingenious ways of putting lacquer over those issues and uh, sort of coming up with other creative ways to make Windows load faster, to make it wake up from sleep faster, regardless of all of this legacy. And that has so far worked out for them impressively well. Like they've managed to get way more mileage out of fixing these things up than I ever thought they could because some of them honestly are fundamental issues I have fundamental issues with NTFS. I have fundamental issues with some of the core principles in the way Windows is designed. You can't fix those things. But you do get more mileage than I thought they could out of it. Like, I didn't think they'd get this far with Windows 10 with it. I thought maybe Windows 8 was the sign of the end of the times. Uh, But I think it only runs for so long. That clock eventually has to run out. That runway eventually stops. Insert metaphor you prefer here. You can only do it for so long. It was great, but I'm just going to... It feels like, I mean, my wild rampant speculation has been now for years has been eventually Microsoft will hit a threshold where they've decided it's easier to start over with whatever the newest thing is they're all hot to trot about. And then Windows compatibility will be delivered via containers or VMs, whatever it is at the time. And so you'll, you know, just like, like, just like, um... Uh, I forget what the classic Mac or whatever they called it on the Mac OS. Rosetta. They, Rosetta. Yeah, Rosetta. thank you. Yeah. It'll be just like that, I, I would imagine. You know, you may even have a, a, a small Windows 10 VM in the background. It's like a runtime. And you'll get Windows application compatibility that way. And uh, well, I got to imagine yeah. eventually that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that's almost certainly the case. I mean, it is not technically the same, but even on Linux, right, you have the app image, which you bundle. It's very Mac-ish, but... It's actually not under the hood where you bundle in all your dependencies into an image, dare I say, a container. Mm. So that's not really what it is. But The difference between images and containers and some of these technologies is getting a little fuzzy for me. Um, I have a lot on this for for the next one, but I I would say that this, uh, an aspect of this ties into our main topic today uh, and my chat with Paul Throne on Twitter. I don't know if you want to jump ahead or if you want to finish the feedback. Um, do we have only one more item? The uh, GitHub. Why don't we just do it and then and then yeah. let's just bring this okay. back up. All right. So Jam one sixty three says that uh, if you haven't heard of uh, of uh, GitLab learning tools, uh, get over there fast. He says mm-hmm. he wish he knew about this sooner. Uh, it actually does look pretty cool. This is the first time I'd ever seen this. Lab.github.com, and they bill it as a way to get the skills you need without leaving GitHub. <laughs> GitHub Learning Lab takes you through the series of uh, takes you through a series of fun and practical projects 
sharing helpful feedback along the way. That is also a great thing. They're teaching you how to be a good open source citizen. But what Jam actually emailed about and Chris copy pasted wrong was oh, PowerShell. Oh, right oh, did I? Oh, did I copy pasta wrong or was there a link? You know, who knows? I'll leave it to the audience. It to could decide. be me. You know what? <laughs> I did it. I did this doc on Linux, so it's probably <laughs> my fault. But oh, let's, there it is. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually, Chris and Jam's email go together. You know what? I've been doing a lot of like consulting work on Windows. Uh, PowerShell is fine. Yeah. Oh, I saw that email come in. Right. Right. Windows 10. I, I, I'm actually more forgiving than you. I think like the last time I really hardcore used Windows in production was like Windows 7. And even then I didn't like it. <laughs> Windows 10 is oh. far, far better. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Visual Studio is still that. like a top shelf, um, you know, 20 year old scotch of an IDE. It's great. <laughs> But it's too bad nobody wants to develop software for that platform natively. Oh, Ooh, oh crap. Oh, I think we're getting into something here. I think we're getting into something here. Um, so now, Mr. Dominic, uh, before we move on from the PowerShell thing, uh, we had also some hoopla around Azure Sphere OS. We had slot of, we could talk about that Microsoft's too. Microsoft's new Linux-based system. All right, well, <laughs> well, let's, you know what, but why don't we get to it? Why don't we get to it? Let's see if we have time. And if we, don't get, if we don't have time, we'll punt it to next week. But let's get to all of it. Let's just do, let's, let's just go down the line. Let's uncut. All right, so before we start, as you know, I'm one to do. We'll thank our first sponsor this week because it's a huge, huge month for Linux Academy. They have 70-plus courses, challenges, and learning activities they're rolling out this month. They've been live streaming every week just to bring everyone up to date on the massive amount of content. Go subscribe to their YouTube channel, by the way. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you go to try out the platform. You know, Tyler in the audience, he's, I think, in the IRC room right now. I don't know if he's active. He just signed up for Linux Academy after hearing about the ads on this show for years. And there will be a moment in your life where it is the right opportunity. And I want you to remember one thing, linuxacademy.com slash coders. You can try the Linux Academy platform for free for seven days. It's everything you need to learn and get hands-on experience with Linux and all the technologies built on top of Linux. The stuff that really makes the resume look good, land that next client and give you the, the education. And I always like to say the confidence to actually go work in the real world and get the certs. And the reason why I say the confidence is because it does the thing that I so desperately needed back in the day when I was in IT, and that's hands-on scenario-based labs to give you experience on real servers. And if you reach the limits of the online labs, instructor mentoring is available. Full-time human beings are happy to help. They're always working on new content, revising old content, and they're standing by ready to answer your questions. If you're busy, you got a lot going on, they got a course schedule, you pick a course, you set a time frame, they'll help you stick to it with learning goals and the whatnots. And if you're ready to get certifications, they got courses created specifically to prepare you for the exams. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. So uh, I saw you kind of waxing on Twitter about um, UWP apps and kind of asking for input from the audience. Has anybody seen any that are really well-known or had success? And I think you kind of came up bubkiss. Uh, So then you just kind of went for the top guns and just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so ask Paul Therod if he knew anybody. Why, why not ask the man directly? <laughs> yeah. And right? you know what? I really respected his answer to you. It was pretty straight. No, he gave me a, a few tweets. And uh, so the original question, to be fair, because uh, yeah. yep. the YouTube commenters do love to scrutinize exactly what I tweet. You got to do that recap. Got to do that recap is, is there a developer similar to Panic Software on the Mac side 
Um, basically, what I'm looking for is like, are there indie quote unquote app, although I'm starting to love that term less and less, developers on the UWP or even like just, just, just like any of the modern, right? Because Microsoft has like 400 platforms now, UWP, Fluent Design, you know, all that kind of good modern stuff. So basically not your Adobe's, not your CAD's, right? Um, and the answer was a no, not one. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Asked and answered. I mean, you can't, you got, you got to respect the truth, right? It's. Yeah. He even said, I think this is one of the most underreported aspects of Microsoft. Yeah. It's, it's a little frightening, right? So I've been doing a lot of C-sharp work over the last probably year, more and more. Um, and not, when I say C-sharp, I mean not Xamarin because I've been doing Xamarin for a long time, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean Windows, basically, right? Or Windows Embedded or whatever. And it is a very, very good uh, development environment. Like, I, you know, I, I might make fun of Windows a little bit, but I have nothing bad to say about Visual Studio. Mm. Right? Or VS Code, which is what I use on other platforms. But, I, you know, and I, I mean, you'll know this, Chris. As you're working on a project, especially if it's like a six-month-year contract, eventually you might need tools, right? Like a custom test, a little test app, or a custom logging, or whatever you need. And you're like, geez, it's pretty easy and enjoyable to make tools on this platform. I wonder if I can make a beefed-up version of this and, like, sell it as a product. And the answer appears to be nope. Now, I don't think it's a... uh, I don't necessarily think, though, it's a combination of UWP, though. Do you agree? I think it's more of a... Microsoft app stores missing the boat, all failing to to monetize that whole platform, that kind of issue. Well, that, well, that's what I found striking, uh, particularly about Paul Thorat's answer. I thought it was I was narrowly framing the question in terms of first I, I, I started broad and then I went narrow to UWP, but um, in my own research, um, granted it's only like seventy two hours of research, does bear this out that it doesn't matter if it's UWP or WPF or you know the Windows Progressive Web App, whatever version of desktop uh, development platform you want to use, the Microsoft platform in terms of Windows is just not garnering that type of developer attention. And this is why they're focusing heavily on open source and Linux. Really? Yeah. Because they know, they see the metrics. They, I've had several Microsoft employees now in off-the-record conversations basically imply they know the trajectory trend for Windows. And they know the trend for Linux and open source, and they specialize in in not Windows, but they specialize in software. They always have, right? And so, uh, and they, but they really have failed to to uh, to make this strategy work. And so, I thought about it recently. You know, the today as you and I record, folks are starting to get the uh, Windows 10 April update or whatever they're calling it, and uh, included in that is. Uh, the timeline feature. It's a it's a timeline feature that, in theory, you're on your Android device, you're editing an Office 365 document uh, at ele- at 11:45 p.m. You close the you know you hit home button, close it. You go back to your Windows 10 machine, you open it up, you go to the you go to your timeline section, and you say, okay, at 11:45, I was working on this device. It's all been synced to your desktop, and you hit it, it brings you right back where you left off in the dock. Um, and there's a lot. It's, it's 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 more than just like Apple's handoff. It's supposed to be uh, more. It's supposed to be deeper. But you can see how it's rather impotent if Microsoft has zero control over the mobile device software, especially if you're running on an iPhone. And less and less folks are taking advantage of the latest Windows features 
they're really kind of at a point where it's hard for them to innovate because nobody's going to use it. And it's true at the Windows feature level, and I think it's true now at some of these other levels as well. Not all of them. They're still very strong in a lot of areas. But in some areas where the ecosystem is sort of the missing piece to make everything work, they seem to be falling flat. Fair, you think? Yeah, I I, I almost feel like it's a strange problem for them to have. Uh, you know, like the let's, – let's just like narrowly take UWP. Mm-hmm. Um, UWP is really powerful and you can get relatively easy support for touch devices. Um, you know, I'm going to put on my WinRT, lost a lot of money on that hat again. But <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> that was Star Trek, right? Like that should have worked yeah. in the same world. Yeah. But it doesn't. I mean, it, and it's amazing because like, you know what? Developing in XAML with the MVVM pattern, like everything just kind of works out of the box. And if you're really lazy, you could go to Telerik and buy some components. Telerik, please sponsor the show. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like people, one, it, it's interesting because it also doesn't seem like a lot of people are like buying Windows software at that level. Where a lot of like serious Mac users at least own one tool from like Omni Group or or one thing from Panic. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like the number one app on Windows is Chrome. Hmm. Which is probably the case for all platforms, but that is an interesting, weird little uh, exception to an overall big trend. Is you can still sell boutique somewhat expensive comparatively software on the Mac platform. In fact, everything is pay on the Mac. Almost nothing that isn't open source is is right. charged. Almost like as a, as a Linux user, when I sit down at a Mac to go set it up for editing, I I, I, I can't think I, – I mean, look, almost everything in the dock is purchased if it's not open source software. Literally, actually, everything in the dock that I am looking at right now, if, except for Telegram, I have my I have my video editing MacBook right here. Everything except for Telegram is oh, and Spotify. Yeah, everything else is. Uh, uh, yeah, but Spotify is kind of paid, right? Because it's like yeah, I do have Spotify yeah. Premium actually. Yeah. That is really interesting. And why do you suppose that is? Is it because people have already been milked so much for the, for the Mac that at that point it's like you know when you when you buy a when you buy a hundred thousand dollar car. Why not throw in another five thousand dollars for like the nice tires? Is that right? It's the sunk cost fallacy. Um, I don't know. See, I didn't. I see. I came to this not thinking that Mac was the exception, right? So it's interesting. Maybe it is the other way, where people generally don't buy software, and there's just like a small group of people, like hardcore Mac power users, who want to buy like finely crafted boutique. Yeah, my sense is getting it's getting less though. Less people even on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm having a hard time justifying, and it pains me to say this, but I I really do have a hard time, except for like IoT style or embedded development, justifying just not having everything be like JavaScript-y in the browser. Yeah, boy, no kidding, right? Yeah, it's kind of, it brings up, I think, a larger question, and uh, I was having a conversation with my lady this morning. She's got uh, a laptop for work, and uh, she wants to start creating flyers. And uh, she wants her first thought, because, you know, she grew up in the 90s, is, well, do I do I go buy, like, a, a flyer layout software? How do, I, how, do I, how do I now accomplish this new task I all of a sudden want to accomplish on Linux? And I, I said, well, have you considered just looking for a website? 
that would allow you to upload the art assets and generate the flyer for you and maybe just even send it right to the printer and then you just get a box that shows up. She said, well, no, I hadn't thought of that because how would I know if the website's any good? She said, she said, she feels like if she buys a piece of software and installs it on her computer and learns it, then she knows that it will always be easy for her to use. It'll, it won't change on her. And it's a one-time investment that then she can sort of tra- train her staff to use as well. And they're done. And that's so what she was like, she wasn't having the whole suggestion of a service. She wanted a desktop application. And um, she doesn't, you know, I mean, she's mostly her primary computing device is her iPhone. Um, but in this particular case, she felt pretty strongly about having a desktop piece of software to do this flyer layout. And I wonder where that, if that's a line, maybe. Perhaps what we're seeing is just a shift and not a complete end to desktop software. Because honestly, the trend line, if you just look at it in a whole, is really bad. <laughs> you know, it's like desktop software is yeah. dying bad. Well, I think there's certain types of applications, right? Like engineering layout software, CAD yeah. software. Mm. It's always going to be. Although right. I say that, but on Thingverse, they do have like a JavaScript powered yeah. 3D printing yeah. studio, which yeah. is a little scary. They're teaching my son right now how to edit video in a web browser, and I laughed. <laughs> yeah, right. Give me a break. No, it's pretty good. It's drag and drop. It's a it's a timeline editor, and of course, because it's online, it's it's one click to import stock footage and stock sounds. Just boom, boom, you know. Well, and l- l- let's not forget the elephant in the room here: WebAssembly. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, right? that, this more is... and more, that's secretly winning the or not so secretly. We just don't cover it a lot. Winning. Um, We're just in the beginning n- days of that. Right. The the problem is that the browsers aren't as good as they should be, but WebAssembly, in theory, can be near native performance. Yeah. And then now that's a broad statement that and, will be challenged, and, but yeah. Yeah, and you could see companies like Microsoft get pretty heavily invested in that because I think they have realized they don't have that ecosystem lever that they they once did. I mean, they still have a very powerful ecosystem, but it's not it's not peak Microsoft ecosystem. And if they can get behind something where they can still have a little skin in the game, they can still put a little direction on the on the spin. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't well, they, they go all a, in? They they have their own. Uh, like Google has Polymer. Yeah, right. W- right. They yeah, Microsoft. Not, yeah. I forgot what they call it. They're P, it's a PWA platform. Yeah, you want me? I'll look it up if you want. I'll look it up because yeah, yeah, we it, we we hadn't really talked about it. And you know, one thing that has, uh, if you remember the early two thousands or late nineties, um, I no longer have to care about Internet Explorer <laughs> or even Edge because <laughs> yeah. I just my, my developer documentation of choice is. Mozilla Developer Network, and you know what? Those hippies at the Mozilla Foundation give me everything I need. Well, here's something. Uh, so, Bla- Blazer does that sound familiar? Blazer? Uh... No, Blazer is there is something brand new that I haven't looked into much. But oh yeah, that's uh, part of what it, it's like. .NET and WebAssembly coming together and having a baby. It, it, it's yeah, it's like they used to have something called the Razor that yeah was not used much out of .NET or Wordle. Actually. Yeah. Hmm. Man, it, that is going to be interesting to see what happens there. I was just reading here. Well, about and there it. are things to like take Java and C Sharp and pick your language here and compile them to WebAssembly. Yeah. So then the whole I don't want to code in JavaScript thing right. goes away. Right. That's that's what that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's what that's about here. And you know, it's worth noting they flipped uh, WebAssembly on um, in Edge in November of last mm-hmm. year. So you've got Chrome, Firefox, and Edge now. Um, All support WebAssembly. That is all going to be, oh man, boy, I can't even. Where wait. does this leave? Where does this leave like your native or near native uh, desktop uh, developer, Chris? In your mind, I know you're Mister Native, Native, Native. Hmm. 
You know, that's interesting. Everything I'm doing, except with the exception of the IRC chat, is is a native app. Well, I guess, no, I guess we're using a web app to talk to. We are literally using Chrome. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Boy. I would probably be inclined to, to lean towards whatever desktop platform had the most prominent native applications. Really? I I think I think for me, I just find that to be more reliable when they're when I I mean I literally run these things twenty four seven. They're always ready to go, so I just find that to be more reliable. But I I could see that shifting. It, you know, I used to be the really anti web app guy on this show, but it is that yeah. is I have definitely dialed that down. I mean, I'm I got to admit I'm pretty happy with some of the web apps I have now. <laughs> They've gotten a well, lot do you, better. Do you consider Electron apps web apps? No, they don't. Okay, well, so you consider. Slack is, you know, it, it's its own thread. It's its own process. It's its own icon. It's a nightmare on all platforms. I know, yeah. But it is its own icon, its own launcher, its own process. It's sort of, you know, it, it, at least a lot, I can minimize it without minimizing my entire browser. That yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would still prefer it to be native code. I really would. If, if it's like, the, if it's the application I'm recording and editing in, I just really, really would like it to be as close to the metal as possible. It's just my bias in my experience over the years has found that to be more reliable and better performance. And it tends to be something that you could keep around a lot longer. Well, that, well, that is, so, so this is the scary part, right? With a web app, and if we're defining web app as something you hit over HTTP rather than like an Electron app, um, theoretically that company can go out of business or that developer can just like not pay his, uh, you know, Heroku bill and there goes your web app. Yep. Yeah. That happened to me recently, actually. Yeah. That happens. Right. (sighs) I mean, your performance concerns, I feel like in a year or two and and maybe even sooner, they're going to basically be mitigated completely by WebAssembly for all like normal practical uses. It's really hard to tell because Google has a lot of skin in the game for everything to go web. Microsoft is gonna is gonna go to wherever the where the puck skates. And so, watching Apple um, last last week, I think it was, Tim Cook said, "No, we're not merging macOS and iOS. We don't think that's what users want." Uh, he said in an interview that was in the Sydney Morning Herald, he said that uh, the Mac devices and the iOS devices would remain their own separate devices. They wouldn't have one. Um, you know, mega OS from Apple. So they're kind of making a bet on desktops, I think. Yeah, but he didn't say, so he said they won't merge the OSs right now. What he didn't say is that there won't be one unified toolkit to develop the applications. Right. And I want to point everyone back to the leaked Project Marzipan. Do you think that is a, a good middle ground or do you think that's just as bad? You know, I came into this uh, episode thinking something different. I think you've actually con- changed my opinion. Mm. Um, I think Apple might be its own little island right now. Oh, yeah. Where t- they're like a little behind <laughs> in a way. Because um, you know what? There is a passionate community of people who will, who like love Swift and like want to write those kind of apps. Um, and people who just like want to buy indie Mac software. Maybe it's like a lifestyle thing. But it's really, I'm thinking about it, like I was working on um, on Linux most of today with Windows and a VM, and almost everything I was running on the Linux side was an Electron app. Mm. And, I w- and it was fine. And I was running database queries in an Electron app, and it was fine. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do I... I mean, I, I think another interesting question on the Apple side is what happens when you have 
you know, let, let, let's say it is, let's say Project Mars Pan is real, and I'm sure we'll find out in June, when you have a bunch of developers, because see, I don't think Mac developers are going to now like cross the wraps into iOS, because I think all the Mac developers became iOS developers when it was obvious that's how you make more money. You're going to have a bunch of iOS developers possibly putting shovelware, or more shovelware on the Mac App Store. Mm. So I'm, I'm not even sure that like Marzipan solves a problem in a way that's good for anyone. Well, it's going to make more. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. They, you know, the rumors are they've really got something here. But skeptical. I hope it's the case, right? I mean, I'm skeptical. I, I, well, you know, I've always wanted the tablet with WinRT with iPad Pro to have like professional level productivity software. Yeah. And certainly, if you could cross to develop for iPad Pro and for Mac, that might be attractive. But knowing, having tried to sell the software for a long time, both on a consulting and like a straight sales side, I know a lot of organizations don't necessarily want to buy iPad Pros because they're relatively expensive when compared to, you know, insert random Android or Windows device here. I look at this and I say to myself, you know, Chris, you are really going to be watching the shit show soon. Uh, I don't, I thought. I thought we were kind of over the disruption uh, that mobile brought, and I hate using that word, but it it is what it is. Uh, but we're not. Nope, nope. We are. We're still seeing the long tail of it uh, right now, and and because the desktop ecosystem was so huge, um, and because there's so many entrenched uses for powerful desktop systems and desktop software, it's a slow thing that we're watching, and it, I don't think it's nearly as predictable as we once thought it was going to be. It's it's totally panning out differently. And that's good and bad, but I really wonder if we're not heading towards an era where we are more free from the underlying platform company. You know, you're no longer necessarily a Windows developer or maybe even a Mac developer. Maybe you just are targeting the web browser more and more right. and more. That's good because, you know, you're not as tied at the hip to that company, but it's also it's also going to be a mess just going to be a mess you know it's going to be painful it's going to be awkward it's it's going to be a mess for a long time and uh it's going to kind of be a setback i think in some ways i don't know maybe i'm wrong and i suppose anytime you go from one monolith that says this is how everything is to sort of a natural sort of more evolution-like process it's always a little messier and you maybe take a few compromises in the process i think if i were going to make a long-term prediction uh, I wouldn't bet against the phone and I wouldn't bet against uh, Android and I wouldn't bet against iOS. I would bet against the Mac desktop and the Windows desktop any day of the week. And I would suspect, and I would love to be wrong, but I would suspect that Marzipan is going to equal more applications for the Mac, but applications that come with compromise. I don't know. I mean, uh, who knows where they're going with this? You got to figure Apple's watching all of the trends around Electron and all of that stuff, and they got to be taking that into account. Who knows what Marzipan will actually come out to be, but I suspect it's going to mean compromise for Mac apps. I wouldn't bet against the phone, and I would bet against Windows and Mac OS, but I so would put Mac that, OS out there longer. But the financial numbers and are terrible on the phone. 
For who? I mean, for for, for well, for developers. Yeah, right? I mean, for some of them. I mean, for some of them. But you know, all of the big ones that uh, want to make it a- for most of them, like yeah, exclude yeah. games. Yeah, right. Yeah, but all the big ones that got big company names that uh, make your brand sell, uh, they're all doing good. So what's the problem? Well, sure. If your if your app is a marketing tool, yes. Yeah, I guess you got to go work for them. Now you see, oh, yeah, see. I'm saying it's going to be shit. I really, that's part of what I'm talking about is it's going to mean just, I think the software development community is going to, there's going to be weird contours to it now. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be chicken little, but I'm just, I don't know. Well, what are those contours? I mean, you're being a little. So in the hey. past, in the past, so say 15 years ago, you wanted to get started in the software development industry. It was pretty clear what to do. It was it was pretty obvious. And it, I think in a large part, for better or for worse, it was because of Microsoft's stranglehold on the market. And so you wanted to make an enterprise application that was going to get a big dollar amount that could have fatty support contracts. You wrote it for Windows. Then time came along. You started writing for Linux, especially on the back end. That's definitely where you did it. And you got Windows on the front end. So then this, there, then we had all of a sudden this uncomfortable compromise between the desktop and the server, but it all kind of worked out for everybody. Linux did a great job at this. Windows was doing great at the desktop stuff. Everybody was happy. Now you're going to have, instead of Windows being the target, you're going to have Microsoft Edge, Apple Safari, Google Chrome. And now that's one thing when it's websites, but when it's applications for, for, for getting your job done, or I'm talking like right now I have a multi-track recorder that is retro- recording three tracks writing them as WAV files to my hard drive. But there's some shows where it's recording seven tracks simultaneously to my hard drive. If anything were to happen to that program, I could lose the entire show. It has to be, it has to be able to work. I mean, it really has to be good. And when you're targeting a desktop platform you, and, and a specific operating system release, it is a much more defined target. It's a much clear target when you're when you're writing for something that's going to run everywhere when you're writing for edge for chrome for firefox for safari i don't think you can deliver the type of applications that somebody like me who's been sitting around here watching all this stuff for a long time is going to be happy with i don't think the quality is going to be there yet i think you're going to have tons and tons of people that are shifting jobs that don't know how to write software you're going to have different implementations of different capabilities on different browsers they're going to have different access to different underlying technologies on the different operating systems that the different vendors allow them to have it's just it's just a mess it's a it's a fragmented mess there's so much to unpack there <sighs> I know I, I, sh- I shouldn't have gotten into it because it's something that really bothers me. Because no, I, I, so I, th- I think in many ways you're right, but maybe an ad to take our breath. Mm, well, well, well thought, Mr. Dominic. I, I follow you. In fact, why not take it all under your own control at DigitalOcean? Mm, think about this, do.co slash coder. Go to do.co slash coder. Sign up with a new account and get a $100 credit. It's just, I mean, the $5 credit's pretty great. A $10 credit would be amazing. You go for two months with one of their $5 machines. That's good. That's good. $100? I mean, you could really build some stuff with $100. DigitalOcean is simplicity at scale. It's a cloud computing platform that you can spin up infrastructure on their systems in less than 55 seconds. And everything has SSDs. 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors. Hypervisors run Linux, SSDs for days. But they wrap it all up in the industry's best dashboard. So if you're an expert, there's lots of nice little power features in there that you're going to take advantage of. If you've never even booted a server in your entire life, 
you're going to be okay. And then to make everything easier, they have one-click deployments of entire application stacks. You ready to try out GitLab? Click a button. You want to build it yourself? From the ground up, deploy the base operating system and build from there. They got Debian, CentOS, Ubuntu, Fedora, FreeBSD, and, and CoreOS and more. Check it out by going to do.co slash coder. It's designed for developers with an easy-to-use control panel and an API that lets you spend more time coding and less time managing your infrastructure. do.co slash coder. Go there, get a $100 credit, and try it. do.co slash coder. No S, just coder. Now, I look at this situation, and I think maybe it's all going to work out fine. Maybe there won't be any issue. Or maybe I'll just sit here with my Linux box, compiling my software from source, and go live in a cave or in a cabin on a mountain. I'm, I'm sorry. I think it would be BSD in that case. <laughs> Definitely so, if Alan so, has his way. <laughs> oh, don't even give me legit. Let me respond to a few things, right? Because you actually mentioned, I think, like well, four, but I'm going to just pick three because time. You mentioned if the platform vendor or the like Edge or Safari or whatever will let Chrome. you do this. Chrome. iOS Chrome with Safari. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about Apple's sort of, and by the way, there's a huge bug in iOS 11, the implementation of the embedded Safari, where it breaks your damn scrolls with your forms in, uh, in legacy Ionic apps. It's great. And it's their bug. And it just shows that they really don't give a crap. <laughs> but isn't that Apple's way, and I'm being a little snarky here, but isn't, isn't that Apple's way of like trying to build a moment? Like how shitty was the JavaScript engine in iOS when the Android one was like better for a while? Yeah, especially when you were doing apps that were like outside the Safari browser itself. Um, right, when you were doing embedded, right? And they used a different engine in the Safari app yeah, so that yeah. it would be like faster. Yeah. And that has, and, and, and what's happened? Apple's eventually had to bow to the pressure, right? To a point. I mean, they still do their weird if you in think the name about, of security. But if you think about what was one of their main motivations for the way iOS is controlled, they want, they want to ship a new version. They want to go up on stage and they want to say, now, when you press here on your screen, kitties come out your lightning port. And they want every developer to use Kitty Kit so that way kitties can come out the lightning port. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a worse story from uh, about a week and two weeks ago now where, where that screwed me. Uh, we can jump into that if we want. Well, OK. So I'll just say this. Uh, yeah. I, the problem with things like WebAssembly or doing it through the browser is they lose that lever, which is what sells iPhones. And, uh, oh no! In 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 practice, it's so much worse than that, Chris. Oh okay. no 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 no! Educate me. Lot Educate of, me. I have a, yeah, I have a lot of legacy line of business iOS apps out there. It's not that. Yes, you're right. The customer doesn't get the whiz bang native thing, but they don't care. What ends up happening is they change something in the embedded Safari, and the app completely vomits in a, like a disgusting way. They it breaks. It's not. It's not that. You know, they they know, or I mean, because I'm not like a scumbag, I tell them that, you know, if you want this, it's it's not native, right? And it's a JavaScript implementation, so therefore you're not going to get the new features. But because they, on occasion, radically re-implement things on the embedded version of Safari, which is what all your, especially your legacy Cordovas and your, like, like Ionic 1 apps, um, they can break on a, on a point release for iOS. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. I... Uh... I wasn't even thinking about it from the standpoint of the users. I was thinking about it from Uncle Tim. And, uh, you know, he wa- uh, he just wants – they want to be able to sell more product by saying that apps can do this thing now. And they can only do that when apps are native. And so they're just going to – they Apple 
isn't going to want to put a lot of energy into anything but that because just like Nintendo doesn't want to sell other companies uh, cartridges and games, you know, it, it just has to be something that they drive. I think that was really big, the big motivation between behind the iPhone and the way they've designed yeah. iOS is they want to be well, able to drive like that. The, yeah, the whole, I mean, they invented their own programming language, right? Like there, there, yeah. there's a whole... But the other interesting thing you mentioned, I'm just going to roll two things into one, is the economics of it, right? Mm. And this is the business side. You know what? You're right. And I think you're right for two very different reasons. One, in the case of enterprises, the person purchasing the software is not the person using it. Yeah. And he or she has a bottom line budget to hit. Whatever's necessary to do that is, is great. And oftentimes, you know, having been in those meetings, everybody like wants to talk about native for approximately five minutes. And then you say, well, then you need an implementation here and we'll need a Windows version and a Mac version. If you have Mac people, oh. at the very least, we're going to need iPhone and Android and, yeah. and web. Okay, so can we just do one of those progressive webby things? Done. <laughs> like, it, All right. I've literally had it called a progressive webby thing. <laughs> that kind of, yeah, it's... I, I live in a dark, dark world. It's the um, dominance of progressive webby things. Well, it's the dominance of contracts are bid based on lowest bid, right? And going in and saying, all right, here's your Swift implementation. Here's your C Sharp for, for uh, you know, Windows. And uh, maybe you can get away with, like, some kind of Xamarin, you know, Mac, Windows, Cross, whatever. But eventually you're going to be doing extra work. And on the enterprise side, that is just not the order of the day. Mm-hmm. On the consumer side, it's really hard for me to, like, you can listen to the back catalog, folks. I railed, well, definitely against Swift, but I railed against Cordova for a long time, and then I folded. And the reason for that was people don't want to pay for stuff. I don't even, you know, I don't know what to say. People, people don't want, like, I, I used to sell an app for five bucks, and people told me that was a premium price. <laughs> I mean, in New York, I don't. Granted, in Florida, things are cheaper. But in New York, you can't get, like, a good drink. You can't get a beer for $5. No. So I'm sorry, but, like, I agree with you from a user perspective, Chris, that I, I wish more things were native. But, you know, I'm like that, that webby, uh, webby person here, and I'm, I got a budget. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what? I, I will give some credit where credit's due. Like, I'm using uh, MongoDB released an Electron app for doing database queries and testing. And that baby's Electron. And that baby runs mm. fine. There is such a thing as a good implementation of Electron app. Hmm. Granted, it uses probably four times as much RAM as it should. <laughs> yeah. But that's, and you're running, you know, multiple, in, every Electron app is running a new instance of Chromium. Yep, got those are, you know, that's the price you pay. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've made crazier sacrifices to run important applications in the past. I look at this as a massive budding of conflicts that's coming. This goes back to my shit show. Um, so you Dare have we say an infinity war. Yes. <laughs> hey, oh, now you go back to uh, Apple's motivation is to sell more iPhones. I think a lot of things they do comes down to that. And the, the way they want to do that is they want to drive the market forward. They want to bring Face ID and they want every app to support Face ID. They want to have a new sensor kit on that thing and every app is able to you know integrate that into the application. If they add two cameras one year, they want every app to be able to tap it and zoom in 2x. And the mm, only way... Well, okay. That's what, I mean, that's what Apple wants. I'm not saying about users or enterprises. No, it's, it's, it's not what they do in practice, though. 
So they, but they want this ability to trot out these new features and sell these and sell new phones. Or select come. developers. Yes, so right. I mean, let, let's yeah. let's go all the way back when they introduced the of uh, the VoIP, uh, the view over IP. Right. It's not uh, practical, and it doesn't right. it doesn't work for a, for the majority. That's so. This is the other part. So then, this is where the conflict, the head, the headbutting comes. Then you've got the raw dog practicalness of progressive webby things for enterprises or the fact that most developers apps don't need new cameras to be a to-do list manager you know like there's just so many things that are not selling new iphones these days that uh if you look at the look you can see the headlines about the iphone 10 supposedly selling poorly who knows but my point there is cost a fortune you you have these two budding interests though developers who want to keep costs down and users like businesses who want to deliver an application at the lowest cost possible and then on the other side the platform owner who wants to keep pushing all the new features forward so that way you got to buy the next phone and these are two massive uh, headwinds, and I got to imagine in the long, 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 long stretch, Apple's going to lose that because the end users eventually will drive the usage of the platform. Right, and it's not just the end. But the, so, so there's two types of end users, right? There's individual consumers who I think are you know they're the people spending depressing amounts of money on things like Clash of Clans and Smurf Berries. Um, but you know what the number one request when I was really focused on iOS for an app I got, Chris, was like the number one functionality. Hmm. I'll give you one guess. I doubt you'll ever guess it. Uh, the number one functionality is 3D touch support. No, I'm just kidding. No, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that, actually. <laughs> HomePod integration, bam. Yeah, oh, um, damn it, that would have been better, damn it. <laughs> Hey, can can you write me a Cordova app or just like a cross-platform app for my company that my inventory people can have to scan these barcodes and check this product into our inventory database? Mm. That is the – I must have written that app 100 times. Sure. That is the number one bread and butter. Companies who are buying iPhones and Android devices where at the time were in you know lots of you know, 100, a couple hundred at a time, that's what they're using them for. That totally syncs up with everything I've ever seen. Yeah, that's a number one. They got their own systems to track all that stuff. They got all this stuff to keep track of. Yeah. Well, Mr. Dominic, is there any other points we should mention before we head off to record 307? We will all be assimilated in the Electron universe. Now, there is a rumor going around that there will be another episode in the near future. The rumor is, too, it's going to be numbered 307, which is weird if you think about it. It's like it's just following us. It's it's like copying us or something. Anyways, I don't know if it's true or not. Keep an eye out. There may be another episode released later on this week. And you you definitely know if you went to coder.show slash subscribe and you got one of them buttons right there. You click them and now you're subscribed to the Coder Radio program and you'll get every single new episode that comes out, including if we have an extra bonus episode this week. I don't know. It's just a rumor, though. Couldn't say if it's actually happening or not. Who knows? Anyways, in the meantime, go get Mr. Dominic uh, on the Twitters at Dumanuka. We have a link in the show notes. You can find his profile page at Coder Radio or Coder.show, not Coder Radio, Coder.show. All the links to everything we talked about today on the program also over on that website. So just go to coder.show slash 306 and you'll get links for some of the stuff we talked about today. You can also find our contact page over there. Send us in your feedback and Mr. Dominic and I will read it on a future edition of the Coder Radio program. Mike, if you have any words of parting wisdom, things you want people to go check out, let them know. You should go to Linux Techs Northwest every year. Yeah, that's true. Come hang out at the studio, drink my beer, eat my meat. 
That's really a thing that happens. Sounds really inappropriate when I say it out loud, though. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode. I'll also give the subreddit a plug. I was just there a couple of minutes ago. CoderRadio.reddit.com. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. And we may just see you back here, not next week, but in just a few days. I don't know why. Somebody's telling rumors!